If we could, we might want to find our way to our seats. Leanne, you want to whistle? <laughs> okay. Good morning. Isn't it wonderful being in the presence of the Lord? Anybody? Isn't it wonderful being in the presence of the Lord? Okay, now I'm in the right place. I really think probably the first thing we need to do this morning is pray. Because in this day and age and our dependence upon the electronic church, so far everything that could go wrong just about has. I know uh, the worship team didn't really get any practice in today trying to get everything straight. And... Uh, Clips didn't show good, and uh, so let's just pray. Let's just pray. Lord, we just, uh, Lord, we give it all to you. Lord, we just lift up the rest of this morning. We thank you for the opportunity just to come together, to come together and not to, not to worry about the door being kicked in and dragged off to prison, but actually to be able to worship you and the freedom to do that. And Lord, we thank you for that opportunity. Lord, I pray over the next 40 minutes or so that uh, I will decrease and that you will increase and that uh, your word will go forth. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay. Today we're going to do part five of God's Amazing Grace. Only I did throw Jay a curveball today because every... When I've come in every Sunday, he says, part five. I said, yeah, he, I'm real easy. You know, I'm, I'm low maintenance. And it's easy to put the labels on the messages. And, but I threw a little bit of curveball today because I, put, I wanted to have a subtitle today, A Message for Harvest Fellowship. A Message for Harvest Fellowship. God's Amazing Grace, part five. We're going to look a lot at humility today. Now this is, this is a concern of mine because I'm a Yankee fan. It is hard to be humble in the month of October. It's a joke, okay? <laughs> Did anybody see the game last night? Anyway. Okay, moving right along. Seriously though, I, I do wanna, I wanna be really serious today. And I'm really, um, I'm anxious. I'm real, real anxious this morning because I really feel there's some things that the Lord wants to communicate to us, some things the Lord has been communicating to me in my life, and some tough things. And, and I really feel today's message is probably going to be the toughest of all five. And it's, it's on grace. It's on amazing grace. We think, how can grace be tough? But I think when we really want to look at ourselves, I really believe the Lord wants to do something different here. And uh, sometimes change is hard. Change is real hard, but we, we need to get ready to change. J.D.'s going to be here next week. He's going to be in, in the pulpit in two weeks. And uh, we need to be ready to welcome him and listen. And, uh, you know, I just... Uh, 
Last week I was concerned. I'm just going to be really honest. I was concerned in my own life, in your lives. But remember what the question I asked last week about new believers? And uh, asked, literally, you know, went up the scale a little bit. Anybody that wasn't here last week. And I just asked, how many new believers do we have all the way up to two years? And I didn't see any hands. Somebody told me they saw one. But that convicted me a lot. Now, again, I do not want anyone to feel condemned because that's, that's the role of the enemy is to condemn us. But I was convicted. So one thing I noticed this morning is, as, as, I, was, as I was waiting, and, and uh, you know, part of, part of Harvest Fellowship, part of our statement says that uh, Harvest Fellowship exists to literally to take the kingdom of God into Montgomery County, the state of Indiana, and the world. That's what we exist for. And so let me ask this question to start out today, and then I'll, then I'll get into the message, and you can stone me when I'm done if you want. But uh, how many of you are happy with that? And I hope in saying that is that we see just maybe, maybe we need to let the Lord change us a little. Because one thing I want to look at today is that, and, and in all honesty, because I, I don't think the Lord's picking on us or that this is something that's unique to us. I think I could have been in most churches in Montgomery County, actually most churches in the United States today, and would have got a lot of the same answers. So again, I, it's not a thing that pointing the fingers, but I want it pointed at me because this is close to my heart. Why, you know, and, and I'm thinking that, why, why aren't we attracting the kind of people that is drawn to Jesus? You know, many were poor. They were outcasts. But some were rich. Last week we looked at Zacchaeus. But there was one thing I believe in common as we, as we look through the Gospels and we see the parables and we see the, the teachings of Jesus and the healings and those that, are, those that are truly coming to Jesus. And I think there's one thing in common is that they all have an awareness of the deep sin in their own lives. And they all have a need for a Savior. And that's a question I think we need to look at. What about us? Do we have that awareness of deep sin in our life? Do we really have a need for a Savior? And so these folks, they would, they would come to Jesus. And there was two things they saw in their lives. They saw, first of all, their filth. And then they saw their need for forgiveness. And so if we resist God's grace, it's because we resist the truth about ourselves. So many times we, we try to measure ourselves and we think, oh, I'm improving. You know, I'm, I'm better than I was last year. Certainly better than I was two or three years ago. So I'm improving. But we resist the truth. You know, if we look at, at Hebrews chapter 11 and we see what, what many refer to kind of as, as the hall of fame of saints, you know. And, and if we see something, you see something common there is that we see men and women who are ordinary folks but become very aware of their dependence on God's grace. Many, even after they're saved. 
Let's take a look this morning. I want, the verse I want to go to this morning comes from Luke 18. Verses 9 through 14. It's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Starting with verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so looking at this, this parable, again, we need, to, we need to understand Pharisees. We need to understand how they were seen in Jesus' time. Because it's so easy looking back. Because, you know, today, if someone looks at you and they go, you've got a pharisaical spirit. You know, we don't take that as a compliment, do we? We take that as an insult. But in Jesus' time, to be told you had a pharisaical spirit was a compliment. Because the Pharisees were looked up to. They were honored. They were esteemed. And they were regarded as those men who were closest to God. To look at a Pharisee, you would say, even looking at him, you could see they were holy. And they were close to God. And so being called pharisaical to them was a compliment. So when we look at this parable, we need to understand two things. First of all, that this Pharisee is every bit as good as he claimed to be. And the second thing we need to look at is that this tax collector was every bit as bad as he claimed to be. And so the Pharisee was proud of his goodness. Verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. The Pharisee was proud of his self-righteousness. And Jesus says in this verse, he says, When we're confident in our own righteousness, we trust in ourselves, and we look down on everyone who doesn't measure up to our standards. And, and something I, I was thinking of when I, when I read this is, if we're always looking down, how can we look up? But this parable itself was, was appalling to the Jews because Jesus was telling good men to repent. Good men to repent. And I honestly believe that Jesus is telling me, and I hope you, today to repent. If we start to trust in ourselves, we seem to forget it's all about Jesus and not us. And it's so easy, so easy for Christians to judge those who are struggling. I honestly believe that the Lord wants to turn our world upside down. 
I honestly believe he wants us to so understand his grace in our life that we're actually excited about it. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be... To actually be excited. To sit in church and be excited. Because we understand we don't deserve it. And we understand that it's only by God we're here. And understand that every sin we ever did and going to be, He has taken and nailed to that cross. And that's exciting. And I really believe that if we understood the depth of our own sin, we'd be at Jesus' feet. But if we trust in, this, in ourselves, we're going to continuously fight His grace. And if we really think we're good, we're really bad. That's a lot of the paradox of, of, of Scripture. In chapter 5 of Luke, we don't need to turn there, but it has a, another story of Levi, who's a tax collector, and he has a banquet for Jesus. And, and the Scriptures tells us that not only was Levi there, but all his tax collector friends were there. This was a whole banquet of tax collectors. I mean, this was, this, I mean, the Jews looked at that and said, look who Jesus is hanging with. It reminded me a few years back, I was watching, I don't know, 2020 or 60 Minutes or somewhere in, in, in New York City. They were trying to round up a lot of people who had warrants out against them. And they usually when they go to their houses, they weren't there, you know, conveniently. And, and so they came up with a scheme. And so with all these people, they gave them a letter in the mail that said they got free Yankee tickets that they'd show up at a banquet. Well, the place was full. <laughs> you know, and of course they had all the undercover agents there and they got to eat their meal that night in jail. <laughs> But I was reminded of that, you know, thinking, you know, if Jesus was there, he'd been right there amongst them. But the Pharisees were so upset because Jesus was eating with, the, with these tax collectors. And in verse 31, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. But what Jesus isn't saying, he isn't saying that, that some of you are sinners and some of you aren't. Some of you need to repent. Jesus is saying that we're all sinners. The problem is some of us are aware of it and some of us aren't. And what happens is so often is that we can get so complacent in our goodness. I know that because I do it. And I've done it. And I'm fighting against it. Because it makes me sick. Matthew 6. Verse 1. This is Jesus. Beatitudes. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And so in other words, he's saying, if our life is lived for being good so people can be impressed with our goodness, then that in itself is a reward. And I don't know about you, but I hope my reward in heaven is much more than on this earth. But he says, if we sacrifice the praise of God for the praise of men, it's not going to work. That's all we get is the praise of men. But I honestly believe that true good works can even be blind to us. And I was thinking as I was, as I was looking at this, and, and Leanne, would you put your fingers in your ears? Trust me. <laughs> the reason I'm having her do that, you know, it's not one of those see no evil, hear no evil, you know, anything like that. <laughs> of course, I could say, Charlie, would you put your fingers over the mountain? No. <laughs> Sorry. No, but anyway, I don't want to rob her blessing. That's why I want to say that. But I remember it was a few weeks ago, and uh, Leanne was at the grocery store. And uh, there's uh, a family right behind her that had a whole cartload of groceries. And it was a Hispanic family, and, and uh, they had like three or four kids and uh, really looked like they could use a blessing. And so Leanne waited till they rang up their bell and walked over and got the debit card out and went through there and uh, just looked at him and, and said, uh, God wanted me to do that for you today, and then walked off. See, now I've ruined her blessing. Sorry. <laughs> but it's a point to make, because see, so many times we, we in our lives, if you're anything like me, is, is that so many times we give to get. Because it is important we do good works. Because I'm not up here trying to say that good works are bad. Because our life should be full of good works. But they've got to flow from a new repentant heart. Not something that we're obligated to do. If we give sacrificially, we need to, we, we're going to have to sacrifice. You know, because we don't have a celestial Santa Claus that whole purpose is, is to pour gifts upon us. And if we become proud of our good works, we're just like the Pharisees. We rely on our own strength, our own emotion. And in this parable, the Pharisee was so good, but that was his problem. Because his goodness kept him from understanding the need of a Savior. That was what was wrong with the Pharisees. They were so religious. They so followed the law that there was Jesus Christ. There was God in the flesh in front of them. And they couldn't see past their own religiosities. And so he was proud. He wasn't like those filthy sinners. He was glad he wasn't like that tax collector. And so many times I think in the church today we can be like that. I was reminded as, of a story in the early days of Calvary Chapel out in Costa Mesa in California and Chuck Smith where he started that, that whole movement out there and it was in the late 60s and, and, and God was really reaching a lot of the hippies of that era and, and they were flocking to his church. But the problem was they'd come barefooted and they got sand on the carpet. Could you imagine sand on our new carpet? And so some of the folks decided to complain. And they told Chuck, you've got to do something about this. These hippies are coming in here every Sunday morning, and they're getting sand all over our carpet. And so Chuck said he'd take care of that. 
So the next, more, next week they came and the carpet was gone. <laughs> but so many times in the church, you know, we, we want to look that way. We want to look down. Those who are different. And in all honesty, that's why we're not attracting the lost. We are what's right with the world and they are what's wrong. That's the attitude we have so many times. But the honest truth of we're all in need of God's grace. You know, the tax collector knew he had blown it. And when he beat his chest and calls himself a sinner, the people around him said, yeah, he's right. He is. He's a sinner. They would certainly agree he's a, he's a tax collector. Now, let me ask you a question in this story. Who deserves forgiveness? The Pharisee or the tax collector? Good. Neither one, because none of us deserve forgiveness. None of us. But the one who receives forgiveness is the one who asks for it. Because you see this, God's forgiveness was there for the Pharisee and the tax collector. Not because they deserved it, but because of his grace and his mercy. So here's this tax collector. And the point of this parable is that to show that Jesus, Jesus is for those who understand their sin, but against those who feel that they're good and have no sin. We're not good. Isn't that awful to say? But I'll say it again. We're not good. But Jesus is. Jesus is. And so Jesus came to give us life out of death. You know, I was thinking this the other day. I saw a couple of young men in white shirts and black pants walking down the street. And uh, good guys. You know, I mean, definitely, you know, they were Mormons. And uh, they're good people. They're good morals. You know? And... and uh, they believe in families, and, and, but they also believe they're working their way to heaven. And that's a lie from the enemy, and they're deceived in that. You know, Jehovah Witnesses are good people. In fact, I really thought about, I'm retired from the Postal Service, but I thought one of the ways to get out of our financial difficulties now is give the mail to Jehovah Witnesses. They're going everywhere anyway. <laughs> you know? But they're good people. They're good people, but they're deceived. Muslims are good people. In fact, the 19 men that flew the airplanes into the towers thought they were doing God a favor by killing us Christians. Just like the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. And so, these are all good people. But you see, Jesus came to rescue the bad. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Every other religion, every cult, every other religion, you can work your way into heaven. I didn't make you mad, did I, Mike? Okay. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't open your mouth in there. 
Lord, we pray for Mike in, in this emergency now. I don't know what it is, but we just pray your spirit goes with him. And uh, just be with him, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. But in Christianity, the difference in Christianity is that we can never be good enough. No matter how much good we do, it's never enough. Because measured against God's standard, it always falls short. Every other religion, you can make it there if you work hard enough at it. And if you get enough souls saved and, and, and you do all these right things. And if, if you get on your knees how many times a day in the right direction and, and this and that. And even some parts of Christianity, if, if you get baptized the right way or upside down or sideways and this and that. But you see, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything. And that's the difference in Christianity is that we aren't good. We realize we are bad and that we can't make it in our own strength. We can't make it in our own goodness and we can only rely upon him. That's what brings gratitude to our hearts. That's what makes us when I, I have tremendous opportunities now. I get to go in the jail every other week and I love that so much. But I go in there not as an obligation and I don't go in there have a scoreboard and says, well, I get one point up this week. I go in there because I want to share with them what I have. And what I have can set them free because Jesus Christ set me free. And so I want to share with them, not as a good work in itself, but as a way of my heart overflowing with gratitude what the Lord's done with my life. And I want to share that. Does that make sense? And that's what springs out of us from the gratitude, not the obligation. Because we can't be good. But so many times we look to Jesus as, as being the Santa Claus or some celestial genie who, who is just at our beckoning. I was reading the story of a, a little boy who was praying, and, and he was praying for a bicycle. And he's praying and says, Lord, I have been good this year. I think I deserve a bicycle. His mother says, why are you being so loud? Jesus isn't deaf. He goes, no, but Grandma is, and she's in the other room. <laughs> and so so many times we think of it that way. And, and we want control, and we want to perform, and we want to wear a mask. And even if we live the most perfect lives, if we are the most perfect father, the most perfect husband, the most perfect church, we still don't measure up to God. And it's only Christ can do that. We can buy all the self-help books on the shelves, but without the understanding of God's grace in our life, it doesn't really matter. And so Jesus points to the tax collector and wants us to learn from him that we can make our lives different we can change our behavior for a while. We can try to do good things, but it's only Christ within us that changes us. Not following a moral code. We can't do it ourselves because all the glory is His. I wonder, you guys ever worship with Danny Mockcastle? Seriously. You know, most of you know who Danny is, don't you? And, and Danny is, is this... This tremendous worshiper who's trapped in this body that, um, well, he's trapped in his body. And uh, 
I think one of the biggest blessings I ever have, I love to sit next to him during a worship service. Because he's kind of like me, has a voice only the Lord can love. You know? I mean, I taught Leanne everything she knows about worship, but, you know. But Danny's heart is so full of worship and praise for the Lord. In fact, I, I remember a few years back, if you've ever heard of Eli, he's a Christian rock musician that wrote a song about Danny. And what's neat about it is most of us don't have the handicaps that Danny has. And sometimes I wonder if he can praise like that, why can't I? What am I thankful for? You know what Danny's thankful for? He's thankful that Jesus Christ died for his sin 2,000 years ago. And that fills his heart full of praise. And he knows someday he's getting a new body. And he's so thankful for that. And I'm glad Danny isn't here because I would have ruined his blessing too. But it's in our weakness he's strong. That's why it's so hard for us to admit our weakness. That's why our lives sometimes, you ever notice that? Well, sometimes it feels like our, li our lives have to be falling apart before finally we're ready to surrender and be honest and let the Lord do it. It's like so many times we try to do it ourselves in our own strength and we keep running into, into the wall and, and wrong turns and finally say, all right, Lord, you've got to do it, and he does it. But if we're honest, sometimes even the best things we do are tainted with wrong motives. Again, I think of myself. I'm not pointing any fingers at you. But I, so many times when I do something, I know inwardly I'm kind of thinking, well, I should be rewarded. I did good today. You know, so many times we give to receive. That's a lot of us, you know, that's one thing I have a gripe about Christmas with because I think so many times I've taught my kids what it's like to receive and not to give. And they get excited. But we're always in need of God's grace. We need to be desperate. I love the song Breathe. We haven't, we haven't done it for a few weeks, but, but it's one of my favorite songs because I want to be desperate. I want every breath I take to realize I'm desperate for Him. I'm desperate because I'm lost without Him. I have nothing without Him. And the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to be afraid to admit we're weak. And we don't have to wear our masks. And I think this, this last Saturday, I woke up and I realized that for the last 27 years, that 27 years ago on October 1st, was my last hangover. And 27 years ago was the last time I ever regretted what I'd done the night before. And in those, in those especially the last 26 years, I think the Lord's taken every major sin I can think of out of my life. And I'm good. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Cuss a little during tax season, but I think Steve will understand that. You know, I, 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 I don't cheat on my wife. I, I don't look at pornography. And I don't do all those things that most of us don't do. But a couple years ago, I really came to a crossroad in my life. 
And I was very complacent. And I was very proud of where I was at. I mean, I had been a drunk, and now I was preaching every Sunday. I was proud of that. My life was completely different. I no longer did the things I used to do. And all of a sudden, I realized that in my complacency, I was spinning my wheels and going nowhere. I can't remember the last time I'd honestly talked to someone new about the Lord, ministered a lot within church, hung around, and, and I think, you know, most of my time was spent in front of the TV or the computer or doing Bible studies for myself. And it, it took a, it, and I even became so blind to a spiritual abuse situation that I allowed my wife to be very hurt. And my eyes opened up and I thought, what a wretch I am. What a wretch I am. I didn't do the stupid things I did before, but I was so full of pride. <laughs> Makes me sick. Why would the world want anything like that? Why would the world be attracted if, if that's what we have to offer them? And so Jesus closes this parable by saying, God will give grace to the humble, and he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the sinner, which we all are. God sees our victories and he even knows when we're going to fail him, even before we do. He knew I was going to fail him. He knew I was going to be so full of myself I couldn't even, couldn't even see the past. But you know what? He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. In spite of our failures, he loves us. Matthew chapter 26 this is where Jesus is, is, is predicting Peter's denial. With verse 31, Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if I fall away on account of you, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other disciples said the same. And the other disciples said the same. And you know what happened? I don't have to go into a lot of stories there, but you know what? We're so much like Peter. You know, I always thought that, you know, I don't believe that Peter's going to be at the pearly gate to welcome us in. I believe Jesus is. And like Jim Spencer so many times says, I'm with him. But, you know, we always hear Peter. A lot of preachers are going to be upset if Peter's there to welcome us because we make fun of him a lot. 
You know, one of my favorite stories I, I talk about Peter is later on that night after this, you know, he says, I'm not, I'll die for you, Lord. And here comes all the soldiers after Jesus. And, and Peter gets out his knife and cuts off the ear. And, you know, he's just really brave there in front of Jesus. And I always gave my, my Barney Fife and Andy, you know, analogy. Where, where Andy was kind of like Jesus and, and, and uh, Peter was kind of like Barney Fife and I always say, you know, that's exactly why Andy never gave uh, Barney bullets for his gun, you know. And so, but here's Peter and, and, and we, we make fun of him a lot, but he was serious. But Jesus knew Peter would fail, but he loved him anyway. Later, Jesus restored Peter You remember when, when they, Jesus had to lunch for him and he restored him. And, and even, even more that, that Peter still, still failed Jesus many times. And yet Jesus loved him. You know, even later in scriptures we see that, that you know, Jesus is finally, or Peter is finally understanding that, that actually God came to save the Gentiles too. Not just the Jews. And, and they remember they had a big argument over circumcision and, and, and what you could eat and not eat. And, and, uh, and, and Peter understood that, you know, you know, these guys aren't real crazy about doing this. Which I think Bob, we can understand a little bit, you know. But they didn't want to, they said, pass the ham sandwich. And then Peter's buddies, the Jews, would come along and, and then... Peter would go sit with them and, and just completely blew it. Time after time, Peter blew it. But yet at the end, Peter died for Jesus. But you know, that's a lot like our lives are because Peter, Peter never would be perfect, but neither will we. And Jesus knows when we're going to fail him. And he loves us anyway. And some of us have failed him many times in many ways. And some of you may be sitting here today and think, you know, I haven't failed him today, but wait till tomorrow, you know, because we will fail. We will fail. But Jesus is right there to pick us up. That's the hope of the gospel. He loves us anyway. We need a deeper understanding of God's grace. I remember a few months ago, Jim Spencer came, and he kind of stepped on our toes a little. And he told us we needed to change. Remember that? And uh, some of us got upset. But, you know, I believe the Lord says we do need to change. I honestly believe that as a fellowship, we need more humility. We need to get our eyeballs off of ourselves and seeing there is a dying world around us that's heading for eternal damnation. Do we see that? There's a world around us dying. There's a world around us heading for hell and we're, we're arguing over these little things and these petty things. And so many times we try to pretend we're in this Christian playground. And again, I'm talking to myself. We, we pretend we're in this Christian playground, but what is, is happening all around us is a battlefield. 
It's a battlefield out there. And we have an enemy that is waging war against souls. And there's people heading to hell now because they have not given their lives to Christ. And that should break our hearts. And we're too concerned about whether there's a clock on the back wall. And that's wrong. We need to get a heart for the lost. We honestly need, I need this in my life. I hope you want this in your life. We've got to understand that Jesus didn't save us and take our sin away so we can be comfortable and complacent to sit on our butts and come together once every Sunday and pat each other on the back. I don't think that's what Christianity is all about. And I think he wants to stir us. I think he wants to do something within us. I think he wants to change us. I think he wants us to reach Montgomery County. Because there's lost out there. There's lost in our own families. And if you're like me, I don't even hardly know my neighbors, let alone witness to them. And I'm upset about that. We need to change. I need to change. And I believe the Lord has a word for us today. And that's get over it. And I think what do we have to offer? What do we have to offer J.D. when he gets here? I want us to be a pleasure to our pastor, not a hindrance. I want us to support him and be behind him. And I want change in my life and in this fellowship. So many times I heard the phrase, if Christianity was a crime, would, would there be enough evidence in our lives to convict us? So our question today, are we going to allow the Lord to change us? Or are we going to fight over this is the way we've always done it? I honestly believe it's time for something different. I believe we need to get over ourselves and allow Christ to rule here. The last thing Jesus said in the great... In, in, in Matthew, what was the last thing he said before he ascended? Was He gave us the Great Commission. Let me ask you this. I want to challenge you. I'm, I'm, John, you want to come on up so I don't forget to tell you? Is John here? Yeah, there you are. I want to challenge us this morning. Do you believe Christ has made a difference in your life? Do you understand the depth of your sin? Are you thankful for His grace? And the last thing is how can we teach the loss about the grace of God if we don't live it ourselves? I'm going to end with Philippians chapter 2. 
And I think a lot of the problem with most of our lives is most of our pain is self-inflicted. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Is there anyone here today that has encouragement from being united with Christ? Can you say yes? Any comfort from His love? Any, if any, common sharing in the Spirit? If any tenderness and compassion? He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and one mind, do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I'll guarantee you, in our marriages, we'd never have another problem again if we could live like this. In our fellowship, we'd never have another problem again if we could honestly live like this. In your relationships with one another, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes. Trust me again, I'm not going to make you do anything funny. Well, this time I really want you to keep your eyes closed. And I'm not going to have anybody stand up. I'm not going to have anybody come forward. So I'm not going to do any, but I, this is for you individually. And I know it's so tempting so many times when you ask questions like this to, to peek out and see who's raising their hands in this. But I want to pray. But I want to pray specifically for those who want their lives to be different this morning. For those who might have been complacent and no longer want to be complacent. For those who, who, who just want more of Jesus. If you're that way today, just, just raise a hand. Just raise a hand. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. And Lord, I pray now that in your precious name, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you begin to stir our hearts and that your love will flow through us and all around us and that Harvest Fellowship itself can be known for the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you take away our complacency, that you take away our satisfaction with just being good, 
and that you stir our hearts and that we begin to get an understanding of the depth of our sin, but the height of your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. And that that will fill our hearts to gratitude and that every day will be a day of thanksgiving for all that you are doing in our lives. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.